This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast and now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week we review the stories that made the business and market headlines with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And this week, we're also joined by Oanda Head of Trading Asia, Steve Innes in Singapore. Good afternoon to you both, and uh, good evening to you, Steve. Hello, Johnny. Hello, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Another dramatic week. What was your market moment of the week? Yeah, I mean, I've said before we're sport for choice, but I don't think any time uh, previously have we actually meant that as much as we have this week. It's going to be certainly difficult to narrow it down. And other weeks, I'd love to say it'd be Theresa May's dancing, but very much this week, it's been all about what's happened in the markets towards the back end of the week. That spike in bond yields on the back of really a trifecta of things which we're going to touch on. There's the USMCA deal, which I'm trying my very best not to sing. There is the uh, the, the really strong economic data out of the US. US uh, that we've had throughout the course of the week and then finally it's those comments from Jerome Powell because you've got to remember last week we had the Fed minutes and they suggested in the minutes well they actually removed the reference to uh, monetary policy still being accommodative so people thought that maybe we were limited on the number of rate hikes which are to come and yet you've got Jerome Powell the Fed chair coming out and saying not only are we not close to the neutral rate yet but we may actually go beyond it so people again having to reassess and that's caused this spike in bond yields bit of portfolio rebalancing, which is drawn away from equity markets and maybe a little bit of near-term risk aversion um, due to the concern about what that means. And that's really roiled the markets. In fact, his exact words, uh, Mr. Powell, was that rates are a long way from neutral. neutral. In other words, one more rate hike likely this year and several more could be coming in 2019, Steve. Yeah, I, I just think that's the signal. I think the uh, the FOMC is prepared uh, to raise interest rates uh, every quarter with a caveat uh, being that the economic data supports. Um, I think they're viewing the U.S. economy in a very, very strong place. And I, I believe there's two outlooks that they're using right now. One, they're expecting inflation uh, to start coming in the, into the economy. So they really want to get in front of that. But on the other fact, we know that the economies are cyclical, and I think they want to get themselves in a better position where uh, old, proven, and tested monetary policy tools can come into effect. So, in other words, if we're stuck here at these uh, historically low interest rates, um, the actual shock value of, of them reducing interest rates again, if the economy starts to go south, south will be non-reactive. Therefore, they're back into the QE uh, game again. And I don't, I think that they're really looking to get out of that. I think they're looking to get out of that business. And this is why I think they're trying to push interest rates higher. And I think when we look at the data, by every measure except wage growth and inflation, the U.S. economy is booming. So it would almost be irresponsible for the Federal Reserve not to be looking to raise rates because the very last thing they want is for the inflation and wage figures to finally catch up out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, you're not raising rates by 25 basis points a quarter, which is manageable. You're raising interest rates by 1% in a very sudden and sharp way, which can cause a recession. And there were some very compelling figures as well. The yield on the US 10-year Treasury rose above 3.2% Thursday morning. That's the highest it's been since July 2011. On Wednesday, the 10-year yield again more than on any day since the presidential election November 2016. And the 30-year yield also popped above 3.3%, its highest level since October 2014. And as we've been on air today, we've seen the latest non-farm payroll figures. 
US unemployment falling to 3.7% in September, the lowest rate since December 1969, Steve. Well, okay, I, I was going in focusing on one component in this uh, in, in the data, not the headline itself, but actually I thought that it's wages that, that, that matter and the AHE or the average hourly uh, earnings came out in line, although the headline was was lower. However, I think there's a high degree of expectation um, going into this number. Um, there's a very, very oversubscribed U.S. dollar right now, and I think that's part and parcel uh, to the comments Craig was making about the strong U.S. economic data. Uh, it's just been astronomical, and I think uh, mainly this week's ISM made for a very, very compelling storyline coming in at around a 28 or sorry 21 uh, year high so everybody's long dollars um, so even if you got this mild uh, letdown in the NFP headline there was always going to be some some pullback um, and the other factor that we have to be very cognizant of not reading too much into this one-off uh, downturn in in an NFP headline is that we're going into a US long weekend now given that the positions are traders positions are quite long I think there was always going to be a nat natural tendency even on a neutral number here for people to reduce these dollar positions for the rest of the day i don't expect the dollar to pick up any steam i think traders will be uh, looking to buy u.s dollars to cover their short positions on any u.s dollar strength ahead of next week and i'm already focused on next week Basically, China comes back online. Um, there's been a huge escalation of uh, China-U.S. tensions, um, whether it's a uh, spy chip uh, or whether it's the uh, meddling in the U.S. elections that have been in the press. So I think there's going to be a significant, uh, significant outlook on the Chinese yuan next week, which I think is going to have leave a big footprint on the U.S. dollar. So there's a lot of uh, wood to be chopped in, in the next uh, in the next week or two um, on this dollar narrative yeah i completely agree the dollar's an extremely crowded trade right now so much uh, has been priced in and i know as we've seen towards the back end of this week there is potential for more rate hikes than maybe people are factoring in and uh, at a faster pace uh, but there's only so much development you can make in the short term and i, I am very curious about this um that just how aggressive everyone is on the dollar we look at and the interesting is we look at the jobs report and yes as steve said the most the most important figure here was undoubtedly unless you're Donald Trump, of course, the most important figure was undoubtedly the wage figure, which was in line. So there wasn't really too much to read there. The overall NFP figure was weaker, but you have to look at what the impact of Hurricane Florence had, um, which we it's always difficult to determine, but it's quite clear that there's been an impact here, and it was actually mentioned in the report itself. But the last number from last month was revised higher by 69,000 jobs. So actually, the unemployment report wasn't actually bad at all. There was strong job creation over the two months. Unemployment, as you say, falling to a near 50 50-year low. Overall, this is a decent jobs report, but as Steve said, everyone's so long dollar right now that it was almost people looking for any opportunity to sell the dollar, and today they got it. Do you think that higher rates could be problematic in the long run? Because there could be a further slowdown to the housing market as mortgage rates start to climb again. Mortgage rates are going to start to climb again, and I think there are signs that the, the, there are potential sorry, for a slowdown to happen in the mortgage market but we've got to remember that this isn't sudden rate hikes like we're seeing uh, in other economies because of weakness in a currency or anything like that, weakness in the economy. This is interest rates gradually rising because people are better off, people are employed and people are earning more money and they're trying to keep a lid on inflation so this is a good interest rate hike and it, it should mean that, that it should 
mean that people can afford that these uh, these rate hikes. But I think interestingly, we're looking at the wages figure, for example, as Steve has alluded to. We're also in a week when Amazon has announced that they're going to increase its minimum wage uh, on, on, for its workers quite considerably because they're facing competition from Walmart and others who are also looking to do the same. So while the wage component may be missing right now i'm really interested to see what impact that has over the next over the next few quarters politically steve this is good news for president trump isn't it with the midterm elections just around the corner now yes uh i think there's a lot of politicking going on um ahead of this uh, ahead of this midterms i think he's been meddling uh in a number of areas uh especially uh in places he should be, and that's particularly in the domain of the Federal Reserve Board. But I think um, I think uh, uh, Chair Powell shut him down pretty convincingly uh, by alluding to the fact that uh, this sitting Fed has a high degree of independence, and it really doesn't matter what the president thinks. Um, we've also seen the president trying to make some overtones in, into OPEC, and I think OPEC is uh, a low we don't think of this. I think these higher oil prices are really another factor that is driving yields higher. It's just not only the um, the U.S. Eco- the U.S. Uh, economic data, the strong U.S. economic data, but these you know surging oil prices definitely factor into the inflation basket. So that was part of the concern also. So I think that's where the brunt of the political pressure was coming from. I think they've got the tears of joy, all the oil producers, and although they they allude to the fact they're going to make some concessions with putting more barrels uh, into the into play to counter the negative effects of, of the Iranian sanctions. I have a view that it's likely more um, price dependent. In other words, if uh, the end users willing to pay prices up around eighty-five dollars uh, per barrel on Brent, they'll more they'll most certainly uh, add barrels. However, if people aren't uh, sorry, they'll definitely add barrels. However, if 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 there's if prices start to drop, then they're not going to add barrels. So this is this is the dilemma that we're going to go through, and this is what I think oil traders realize. They're starting to factor on um, what the actual ability is or what we refer to as the spare capacity uh, in Saudi Arabia. Right now, uh, they're putting out around 10.5 million barrels per day. Um, Historically, the high has been around uh, 10.7. They claim that they can put out 12, but there's a lot of doubt uh, that even, you know, the kingdom can actually make up the shortfall from uh, from from the Iranian sanctions, which are targeted to be around 1.5 to 1.6 million barrels per day. We look also at the U.S. Situa- situation, um, definitely. I mean, they're producing um, 11, 11.3, 11.4, nearly 11.4 million barrels per day. But the problem in the U.S., they can't get the crude to the refineries and they can't get the crude to port simply because they don't have the pipeline infrastructure and there's just huge bottlenecks and that's what's happening we can see on the weekly uh, inventory data it's just the fact that they're trying to pump but they can't get it to port so these inventories climb which also you know it, it effectively weighs on um, oil prices but it's just part and parcel um, of what what the, what the current situation is globally. Steve, I want to get your thoughts on the Indian economy in a moment. But first, Craig, big problems over there with the currency hitting huge lows. 
Yeah, and I mean, and this is to do uh, with a number of things, including uh, what you've just been talking about with oil. So uh, Steve uh, is going, will obviously come in on this in a second, and I think he's probably better positioned to talk about it. But India has a number of problems right now. Um, for one, uh, th- there's been a number of countries in the spotlight ever since uh, what's happened in Argentina and ever since what's happened in Turkey. It's always a case with these emerging economies that once you start to see a, a, an emerging market crisis unfolding, it's who's next. And the first ones that you're always going to look at are who are the ones with large current account deficits who are the ones that are most uh, exposed to um to global politics right now or geopolitics um uh, who's more exposed to rising oil prices which is what steve's just been alluding to and then also the rising u.s dollar so who's got uh, high amounts of u.s uh, external d- uh, dollar denominated debt and that's where turkey uh, really did fall short on top of other things uh, and India is certainly exposed uh, on a number of bases uh, with regard to this, and it's also got its own issues at home. What's really happened, uh, in my view, uh, on the emerging markets over in Asia, uh, investors have broken them down into two categories, one uh, current account surplus, the other current account deficit, uh, the latter uh, being definitely in the crosshairs of currency traders for about the last uh, month. And what we're seeing is the after effects of this, where um, coupled with surging oil prices, these uh, economies in in Asia that are dependent uh, on uh, needing to buy dollars from the open market uh, to fund uh, their massive oil purchases is effectively weakening uh, their own currency and it's causing a a lot of problems. One of the big issues I have um, when we start getting into the 74-75 realm on on the Indian rupee, the dollar dollar rupee exchange rate, is that uh, India has a lot of U.S. debt on the books and servicing that debt is going to be troubling. Um, you know, obviously they have to convert that, convert the rupee into dollar to service the debt. So that's going to add more fuel to the fire. Um, ultimately, the RBI is trying to make um, some some agreements, some barter agreements, such that it can reduce the um, the. Uh, the, the terms of trade pressure that higher oil prices are doing. We've seen them come up looking to def- issue some deferred promissory notes uh, to, to some of their trading partners like like uh, like Russia. Um, I certainly believe if oil prices go up, they're still going to continue buying uh, oil um, from Iran, settling in rupee and avoiding the uh, U.S. dollar restrictions. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really, uh, really difficult situation. And even today, um, I think the RBA did the right thing uh, by not raising interest rates because of the uh, perhaps the credit crunch that we saw developing in India last week. Now, I think that's signaling that they're willing to take a little bit, bit of short-term pain for longer-term gain. Now, how the market will look at, into this for a, long ter- a longer-term view? Well, you know, higher interest rates are very destabilizing. I think we made um, point of that earlier in the fact that it's the end consumer that usually, you know, pays the piper through these higher rates, paying a higher mortgage and paying higher um, debt costs. So, you know, I think the RBA was really cognizant about the underlying factors. And I think not putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg, is, and this is what I usually refer to it as attempting to stabilize the currency through higher interest rates, I think this could place some dividends out in the long term but today it was just a bloodbath in the indian rupee again it just sold off dramatically uh, on the market was just sitting there waiting for a rate hike and they didn't get it and they just sold the rupee on inclination and uh, um you all will have to see how this uh, this unfolds over the weeks uh, weeks ahead 
Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think it's really interesting to note that uh, people are looking at this situation maybe like it is in a similar sense to Turkey or to Argentina, where they need to raise rates in order to quell speculation around the Indian rupee. But I think it's worth noting that this situation in many ways is also different because Argentina and Turkey had their own other political issues. People had completely lost confidence in Turkey, uh, which is one of the reasons why uh, the why the, uh, the the Turkish lira sank so much because of the political uh, landscape there. Whereas the same isn't necessarily true in India. So we have to weigh up the pros and cons of raising interest rates. And a 25 basis points rate hike isn't going to do anything to quell speculation in a currency, but it can do damage, especially if you add a little bit more. So that's another reason why I think they were right to do what they did today. And it's also interesting, guys, that we're having this conversation on the day that India signed a $5 billion missile deal with Russia. President Putin in New Delhi today, pictures of him uh, hugging Prime Minister Modi. Uh, and uh, that is going to strain relations with Washington, surely. Yes, <laughs> undoubtedly. There's a, there's a lot of bad blood going on between um, the Russia and the US right now, although um, they're trying to gloss that over uh, to a high degree. But, you know, R- Russia has been a really bad actor uh, in, the, in the last uh, the last year. Um, you know, dating back from from the uh, from that uh, poison attack in, in the UK, and they're meddling also uh, in the US elections. So, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of issues at play here. But yeah, um, putting putting military um, defense military into the hands of an ally, uh, it's not going to be received very well. So, I think there's going to be um, further escalations here on the political front. And I think if India was looking for an ally on this uh, oil front, I don't think they're going to find it uh, anytime soon in the US. Steve, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's late where you are in Singapore and we appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Craig, have a good one. You too, mate. Let's continue our conversation, uh, Craig. Brexit, Tory conference or Italy? Yeah, there's been no dancing in Italy, so let's start with a Tory I'm conference. I'm actually thinking that you like Theresa May's dancing. You've mentioned it on at least two occasions so far. I can honestly say that it's the one point this week, and this has been such a mental week in so many ways, but it's the one point this week when I've got on my Twitter feed when something's happening, and there's just been widespread groaning. It was really cringeworthy. It was so pre-planned, and it's you think, oh, John, I actually, one thing I would say for her is she's a good sport for doing it, and exactly. uh, given the amount of stress she's under, then fair exactly. enough. But then the give, flip side of that give is... Give a girl a break. Come on. I, 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 I really cringe at pre-planned jokes, and th- these things should be a little bit off the cuff, or at least give the impression that All they're right, off the cuff. All right, let's talk about the speech, though, because people generally have given her the, the sort of a reasonable amount of credit. Was, wasn't her worst speech by any stretch of the imagination. And I expect you're going to tell me we didn't learn anything new about Brexit. It's a business as usual or not so usual. Well, I mean, there's different facets to the speech, actually, and um, it depends which parts you're really uh, looking at. Again, these, these these conferences, and you can go Tory, you can go Labour, you can go the completely pointless Lib Dem conference. I, 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 I really struggle to get too much on board with them. They are, they are all about just... Oh, just re- utter nonsense on the vast majority of occasions. Yes, Theresa May's speech was one of her better ones, but 
let's be honest, she was coming from such an incredibly low base last year. It was going to be very difficult to slide beneath that one. Um, there was some really interesting points to come away from it that were non-Brexit related, though. I mean, she talked about the end of austerity, which I think caught people off guard and will certainly cheer people up. Where she's going to find the money to pay for this, along with the NHS uh, boost, is is we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure she's given Philip Hammond a few sleepless nights trying to work that one out, especially if we leave uh, the EU with a no-deal Brexit. Hasn't was- he got a bit more revenue to play with at the moment? Well, I mean, the, the Brexit dividend, um, of course, right, is, yes. is being, has been touted, although that's extraordinarily debatable, um, depending on who you speak to, of course. I think, yes, the, the, there are a number of facets of this speech which you can look at individually. There was the talk, talk about uh, more council house, uh, houses being built because uh, of removing a cap which would have other, otherwise limited it. We'll have to again see whether that actually encourages councils to build more or whether there are other issues such as planning as we've seen in the past. So yes, there was some positive takeaways uh, from this speech and it wasn't one of her worst speeches, but I just really struggled to get on board with these. I think I said at the, uh, at the time a few days ago... The worst thing about these speeches is they all seem to use the same speech writers and no one who, no member of the speech writing team seems to write a speech for the person involved. And just as much as I was cringing uh, many times during Jeremy Corbyn's speech the other week, I was equally cringing this time because they're not, you need to write for their characters. And Theresa May has some very good character points that, uh, and you, if you wrote a good speech for her, then it would have come across much more genuine. And parts of it did come across genuine. Um, It's worth noting but there were so many parts of it which just came across fake and when I see someone acting so fake it falls on deaf ears and that's the maybe that's just more of a personal thing so how did markets reflect on that conference you may have seen like several sort of response in maybe some of the house builders to yeah. to do to those um plans for council house building and I think even labor will have been um I don't know to say pleasantly surprised at these plans because maybe it's a it's not necessarily a traditional Tory policy uh, to build more council houses. So they will maybe um, reluctantly applaud that um, that particular uh, idea. Uh, the, like I said, the end of austerity is one that it really interested people most, but it's hard to see a market reaction to that because we don't know what necessarily the end of austerity looks like, and it also depends on a good uh, Brexit deal. Um, I think the biggest takeaway this week always from a markets perspective relates around Brexit. There's been rumours again about potential developments on Brexit. There was speculation prior to the conference suggesting that Theresa May was ready to make another concession, uh, effectively putting checks uh, on the uh, on the border between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, which is interesting because she's previously said that no British Prime Minister would ever put up a border between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. So it's an interesting concession to make. Hard to see how she'll get the DUP on board with this, let alone the Brexiteers who will naturally find issues with remaining within a customs union, which would be the offset to doing so. That was probably the most interesting point this week. We really saw a jump in the pound on the back of that. Uh, We've seen comments as well today from uh, EU officials um, uh, who haven't been named suggesting that they were close to a deal. And again, I find that quite difficult to believe that we're close to a deal that Theresa May, the EU and uh, Parliament agrees on. But we are nearing the deadline. So we have to hit a point at some stage where everyone starts to go, right, Let's get to the compromise section and let's get something agreed because no one wants this cliff edge. Before we look ahead to next week, a word about Italy, the Italian government now betting on generating economic growth far in excess of the forecasts. And uh, of course, it wants to fund a rather expensive platform. 
Yeah, we forget that in all of this, this has actually been a week that's just mostly focused around Italy. This has been a week in which we've seen the first signs of this coalition government. This coalition government, which is built on two Eurosceptic parties, two populist parties, one from the right, one for the left, one who promised tax cuts, one who promised more spending, coming and forming a government which, whose sole aim is to spend more money and take on Brussels. And in my view, which they will not admit, ultimately try and drive up public opinion for a referendum uh, of their own, which is why they keep coming out with these comments of, and this week's was, uh, if we had our own currency, we could actually resolve most of our problems, but it's fine, we'll remain committed to the euro. A few weeks ago, was, if we had our own central bank, we could resolve most of our problems, but it's fine, we're committed to the euro. They are working slowly but surely to try and change public opinion from within, which is currently very pro-euro. And earlier this week, we actually saw a large drop-off in Italian bonds and a rise in yields. We saw a drop-off in the euro in response to the fact that they were taking on Brussels. They were breaking their deficit rules. They wanted to raise the deficit to 2.4% of GDP, which overall is below the 3% uh, rules and uh, rules uh, of the euro. But the problem that they have is it still increases their debt because they are traditionally and still a very slow growth country. So if you're running at a deficit of 2.4% of GDP, running at the rate of growth which you have been for decades and people expect you to now, then you are going to see your debt rise and that does break the rules uh, of the euro and that's why they are on a collision course with Brussels. But the problem is they tried to get around this by saying, well, we actually think we're going to grow faster. Very interesting stuff, Craig. Before we let you go, what are you looking ahead to next week? Yeah, well, as Steve alluded to, I think next week's going to be really interesting with uh, with, with China. Uh, again, I think a lot of these stories are still going to be overflowing. People are very focused on the US and everything we've talked about today, so there's no point in going over them. From a data perspective, it's looking pretty slow. So things like UK GDP on Wednesday may be of interest, US consumer confidence on Friday. not That's not necessarily a massive figure, but compared to what we've got next week, it's looking a bit slow. ECB minutes on Thursday could be of interest, so that's one to keep an eye out for. But as always, and I've said this for a long time, politics rules and next week it's going to be exactly the same brexit italy us china the list goes on and it's going to be very exciting fascinating stuff craig Earlham, oanda senior market analyst in london thanks very much for joining us today thank you and our thanks also to oanda head of trading asia steve innis You've been listening to the Oanda Market Insights podcast, of course, now available on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Have a very, very good week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.